Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have reached the quarterfinal round of the year's first major, the 2023 Australian Open, promising to deliver us an exciting championship weekend of action. Of course, before any of the matches get underway, we know it's our job here at Crack Rackets to preview each and every one of the impending battles, of course, over on our mini break podcast feed you can hear my thoughts on every one of the women's singles quarterfinals not only do I make the case for each player competing I talk about the odds talk about the statistics get into all the fun aspects of each of the matches but here on this show we're breaking down the men's singles quarterfinals and even better than the preview content we've got for all of you listeners is the person not guest person joining me on today's show as he of course is a founder and original host of this great shot podcast a man you all know best as my doubles partner partner in crime and the man going straight to the mba it's my dear friend maxwell labauerath and maxi hey great shot words i haven't gotten to say in far too long welcome back how are you doing today I had so many thoughts and things I wanted to say, and then you had to just bring in the cheesiest NBA <laughs> pun of all time. I actually don't even know what to say anymore. I'm kind of lost. Oh, I'm you're frustrated. Back. It took me three takes to get through the intro. That's how I'm making a bad pun. That's how you know we're truly back. I was trying to Jesus. build up to that pun. That's why it took me so long to get the first minute right. I mean, I I was dancing in the intro. I was gonna say something about how like I wish we sh- we might even have to post the video. It's a beautiful <laughs> sunny day in Chicago. It hasn't been sunny in like three weeks, so it's my first podcast in Chicago, and it's sunny. I mean, I had so many things to say, and anyways, <laughs> welcome back. I guess thanks, man. Oh, it's good to have you here. And for our listeners who are wondering where Maxi went, as he alluded to, he is off in Chicago at business school. That said, he does have a little bit of time to join us here and preview each of these quarterfinals. Of course, before we get there, actually, you know what? This is in our business, and this is what I've learned to do over the past five years, Maxi, while you've been away. This is what we call a tease. I'm going to save it for the changeover chat. We've got at the end of the show. I actually have a couple of I've been away for I'd five like years. You're right, but yeah, it's what I've learned over the five years. You've been away maybe for, we'll say, I'm not even going to say how Two. long because we, yeah, we've moved past that. You're here today. We live in the present. That said, I do want to ask your thoughts. This Australian Open, first major of the year on the women's side, it's been defined by the ball bashers. And boy, do some of them, Sabalenka, Rybakina, Azarenka, all look in exceptional form. Pagula's been great also, of course, on the men's side. And look, 
this is why we're starting with this, and I need Maxie's thoughts. This podcast began. Its opening series was called the Next Gen American Series, where Maxie and I broke down the players born 1996 through 1998 on the American side, talked about why each of them had top 50 potential given their junior and early pro results and we were at the point where we had eight americans in the round of 32 we had four americans in the round of 16 we will have you know two americans in excuse me three americans in the quarterfinals at least one in the semifinals this is you know in game of thrones how it's the prince the princess that was promised this is the american men's tennis that was promised maxi your reaction to everything that's unfolded through these first eight days I mean, look, I, I have friends who don't really watch tennis and have been, for some reason, it, maybe it's break point. It could be that's hyping the people up. I mean, I know it's it's fired up uh, some of my friends, but I have people who don't watch tennis texting me and being like, okay, I'm seeing a lot of American flags late in this round, in this tournament. What the hell is going on? Like, is this like abnormal? What is happening? And I'm like, oh, just you wait for the rest of this year. It's going to be special. But um, no, I mean, look, it's fun, right? We haven't seen American men's tennis look like this in a while. And to see it from a bunch of guys between the age of 20 and 25, hopefully this is something that we see carry for the next 10 years. I mean, uh We've got lots of stats to share on on Ben Shelton, who's got some of the fun ones uh, for this tournament. But truly, I mean, I've just enjoyed the Australian Open so far. It's fun only seeing kind of two major names. And by major names, I'm throwing Djokovic and Tsitsipas in there in the quarterfinals. I'm, we've talked about this forever. We're tired of seeing the same guys. This is exciting. This is new. This is what we're here for. I'm ready to talk about these matches coming up, though. It's the, the, We've got some good ones. No, absolutely. And a shout out to Colette Lewis, who wrote about this class with just a different aura than she did prior generations of American men. And it's because all of them were winning Junior Slam titles or Easter Bowl, Orange Bowl titles, competing for, you know, victories at Kalamazoo. And again, to see so many of them push one another to the top of the game. And then for us to have this refreshing new group, the Next Gen 2.0, the Cordas, the Brooksbys, the Nakashimas, obviously you have to include Ben Shelton, who, by the way, Ben Shelton, Maxie, younger than Nicholas Gruskin. There's a little thought for you. Nick Gruskin, you haven't made a quarterfinal yet, so get your act together. Um, it It's a really fun time because, to your point, you feel like each of them can still continue to get better. And they're all, you know, I think I saw a tweet that there will be 10 Americans in the top 50 when the next edition of the rankings come out. 10 Americans, you know, we talk about the 90s being the golden era. Well, shout out to the history books. We might call this the roaring 20s for American men's tennis. There's just a lot of bites at the apple. I mean, how many were in the top 50 when we did our, our next-gen series like back in the four. day. I mean, like four. It was like three, Stevie, yeah. Isner, Query, and Query. sometimes Sock, sometimes Kudla, yeah. like sometimes, oh, Ginepri, like, Bobby Reynolds. What are you doing there? I feel like Ryan Harrison snuck in there yeah, once or twice. Yeah, shout out Ryan like, Harrison. I, I don't know. Yeah. 
Now, do you remember that Atlanta Isner Harrison final we broke down? I like you know what? It's funny because I remember that podcast. We were going through the entire U.S. Open series, and that podcast. Not to say that was the end of us, but I could tell that's when your frustration was mounting with me because I wanted to spend a little more time on some of the earlier matches. And you're like, dude, if we do that, it's going to be a nine-hour pod. And I'm like, yeah, let's do a nine-hour pod. And you're like, we're not doing a nine-hour pod. And so yeah, I mean, look, all, all I'm going to say is for all those TC producers out there who. <laughs> are like Gruskin we're leaving the studio now I feel you okay I hear you it's miserable no it's it's good you, you love tennis five years it's a it's a seven and a half minute intro but I promise we will get to these uh, quarterfinal matches momentarily yeah, but yeah no it's it's been great the last thing I want to ask you though Rafa, because you're a Rafa scholar, and certainly longtime listeners will know that. We always turn to you for the freshest Rafa take. Now, given how – here's the reaction I want from you. What do you make of how open he is when the retirement word comes up in his press conferences or following a loss like this? What is your reaction to that? I mean, look, he he's always been open, I feel like, about most of his career, right? And – it's kind of getting thrown in his face, and I think he's just handling it like a champ, right? Like, I mean, he's not necessarily hiding anything. Um, I think he's being as diplomatic and smart as he can to not, you know, get bombarded even further with questions. I mean, look, we're this is probably the first time, I don't even know if I can say it's the first time we're seeing a decline, because he's been injured before, we've seen him decline in a little bit, and then... He wins two Grand Slams, you know, in a year, and we're like, well, he's back, right? So, you know, I, I want to say he's answered everything appropriately. Um, you know, there was the, the comment from Zverev the other week about how he thinks, you know, it, he'll retire at the French Open coming up. And Nadal's like, yeah, we're friends, but like, come on. He, he, he doesn't know me well enough to say that. Like, that's a heinous statement. So, you know, he's aware of the sentiments that are being thrown around He's trying to dispel certain things. Would it be the craziest thing ever for him to, you know, win the French and retire? No, but I don't expect it. Um, I I think the guy, look, it's the guy's first, like, early round loss. You know, well, he's had some other early round losses. But it's his first kind of showing like this in a little bit. And the natural question is, are you going to retire? I think he's got more time. I want to give it another year or two. But when you win two Grand Slams a year before, I don't know why we're, we're all so you know gung-ho on his retirement. Plus, he lost to Australian Open specialist Mackie McDonald, which, again, Mackie just hitting the cover off the ball. Obviously, he gets injured as well. Let me ask you this, though. I know it's heinous. 10-1, to 1, he retires at the French Open. Do you lay anything on that? What's the odd have to be? Uh, no, honestly. <laughs> I mean— 50? I got, Sure, I'll, I'll throw a dollar to win fifty dollars on that. But like, I don't. He's not gonna do it, even if he wins. Like, I, he's look. He's a competitor. You think if he wins a slam, he's like, now's the time to retire. I mean, Sampras like, no. did it. Yeah, he feels too. But he's too good, man. He's yeah. he's feeling too good still. Plus, I think he loves he, it. 
Come on. Literally no said one... he loves it. Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. You're right. I agree. I just wanted to take your temperature because yeah. you're the, our foremost Rafa scholar here at Crack Rackets. With that said, the reason I brought you on today's show, of course, is to not get into the odds of Rafa's retirement at Roland Garros, but to get into each of our quarterfinals. Of course, again, what Maxi and I want to do today, make the case for each of the players competing in this Australian Open men's singles quarterfinal action. We'll go through the numbers. We'll go through the odds. We'll offer our predictions. Let's start at the top of the draw. The matches we have here coming up Monday night on the East Coast. Sebi Korda versus Karen Hatchinov is a match we have seen, of course, in the past. And shout out to you being back. I should have said Karen Kachinov back Kachinov. in our live once again. Uh, you look for Hatchinov who beats Korda the first time they play. Wimbledon 2021, 10-8 in the fifth. It was a sloppy match. Not the greatest tennis in that battle, of course. They played twice to end last season. Both of those matches going the way of Sebi Korda. Sebi, a straight set win at Cincinnati. Straight set five and six win indoors in Antwerp. For what it's worth, Sebi Korda goes on to make the final of that Antwerp event. And again, 2-1, career head-to-head for Sebi Korda. You look for Korda, who's now 40-22 and 22 overall over his last 52 weeks into a slam quarterfinal for the first time in his career. But the big number, since the start of October 10th, the start of the Hion event, Sebi Korda, 16-4 and four overall in the now, what, five events that he's played. He's made three finals. Lost to Djokovic, Felix, and Rublev in those three finals. None of those are bad losses. He lost first-round Paris to Demonauer. Fine. And then he goes on to make the quarterfinals here of this Australian Open. You win 80% of your matches, Max. You're holding 86% of the time, top 15 number. 23.3% of the time, top you know 25 number. He has ostensibly looked like one of the 10 best players in on the ATP Tour over the course of the past three months. Let's start with him. Sebi Korda coming off of, obviously, the five-set win over Hoopy Hercots. He's played a lot of tennis here in the month of January. I think that was, what, his 10th match of, uh, or maybe ninth match of the month. Give me the case for Korda, your temperature on him. Listeners of our podcast know, and you know this as well, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid. I think he's a top 10 guy. I think this is the breakout event. I think we'll look back at January 2023 and say that's when Korda got it together. Yeah, um, you're, I think you'll like my thoughts and, and a take I have on Korda. Uh, look, the guy strikes the ball as pure as, as anyone out there. He's been playing phenomenal tennis. I'm not concerned about his fitness. These guys have a day break between these matches. Sure, long five-setter against Hubie, but I feel like Korda's the kind of guy that gets on a roll playing a lot of tennis. He, he, I, I prefer seeing him play 10 matches in a row, getting in his groove, took out Medvedev in, in a great three sets. Like I just, I like to see him getting reps. And so honestly, all the matches, not a concern for me. Um, it's funny. I, I know we're going to talk about Lehechka next. I think Lehechka is a wannabe Korda. And I know, <laughs> and I know that they're not super similar, but their backhands are great. We'll get to that in the Lahetchka uh, match. Do you know I called Brandon Holt a six foot one Sebi Korda? What do you think of that take? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sure. I mean, 
It's not the weapons, but it's just as smooth, to your point. That's yeah, the thing smooth. about Cord, right? How yeah. smooth everything is. Yeah. Laheshka's not as smooth, but I think game style might be some Like, if, if Laheshka was as consistent and didn't move in quite as much, he'd be Corda. But yeah. anyways. Um, look, I, I think Corda wins this. He, I think Corda should win this in straight sets. That's my first take. If he doesn't... It's because Hachnov comes out with a fiery first set, wins it, and then quarter wins in four. That's my take. Hachnov really... Well, hold on. Let's stay on the quarter side of things. Because if you think he's going to win so comfortably, and again, you look at the numbers for Sebi Korda, who over the last six months would be one of just nine players on the ATP Tour to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Again, I mentioned that 16-4 and number. It hasn't been a cupcake schedule. He's beaten Hachinov, as we already mentioned, beaten Sinner, RBA, Murray, and Nishioka. Medvedev, obviously, in the third round of this event, plays that, you know, needed some gumption to hold things out in that 7-6 in the fifth set win over Hoopy Hercots. You are very confident in him. You beat me to the prediction. Spoiler alert, listeners, where Maxi's leaning. But why do you think Corda? What is it about this matchup that has you leaning Seppi Corda so heavily? I just think the way that I think his matchup is really good for for Kachanov too. Look, Kachanov either needs a Yoshi who's going to throw a lot of spin, he can come over the top of the ball and really be aggressive, or he needs someone who he's just going to absorb pace. And not that Corda doesn't hit the ball hard. He obviously does. But I think Corda does a good job mixing up the way that he plays. I think Kachanov's just not going to be able to really do a whole lot. Like I said, Kachanov has the weapons and the firepower to come out there and take a set. No question. Serve big, hit his big forehand. He can take a set away from Corda. I think Corda's just too smart and too solid, and he's just going to play his game. It'll be tight. There, It, it might be a 5-7-6-4-7-6-6-3, but I think it's just going to be high-quality tennis, and Corda's going to sneak it out. Well, here's the thing I think Corda will do particularly well is, A, he just saw a big serve, big forehand combination in Hoopy Hercots, right? So there is some sort of sense that he'll be ready for that attack. But, B, let's talk about what Corda can do well, and he did it particularly well that first two sets he won against Hercots were the only two sets where he made over 60% of his first serves. But the big thing I loved, and you know, he goes to the net, I think a grand total in the match 34 times. 12 of those times came in the fifth set. And I love that adjustment from Corda to play with pace through the court, to move in behind it. The big thing I think Corda's going to be able to do is play with pace, with depth, perhaps more importantly, through that Hatchinoff forehand, and he'll hit the big first serve out wide on the deuce side to just stress that grip, stress that big backswing. I think he can make Hatchinoff uncomfortable. And, you know, something we've been saying for five years, what does Hatchinoff do so extraordinarily well? He absorbs pace on that backhand wing, redirects that ball. I think he's very good at it. The problem is Sebi's better. And so, again, foundationally, fundamentally, I think Sebi Korda is just better at all of the things. Now, I, I, Hatchinoff sitting on a forehand, I feel more confident he's going to put that ball away. But the big thing over this month has been Sebi's ability to keep his momentum moving through the court behind that first forehand. I, I think on paper, the question uh, it's pretty obvious for Corda that, yes, he is looking good. But again, he played three and a half hours against Hercots. He played three hours against Medvedev. And not only is that physically taxing, the mental tax. He'll have to pay. But I, think, but I think this comes back to the point of 
Korda getting on a roll. He's had challenges. Truthfully, Hachinov hasn't. Tiafo, sure, tougher match. Yoshi, whatever. I mean, his other matches just not challenges the way that Korda has had to be challenged. Maybe not the fundamental pace. Like, you're right. Yoshi and even Francis, to some extent, who can amp it up on the forehand but doesn't do it as consistently as Korda does. It's a different sort of challenge from a depth perspective. I agree with you, but... I mean, let's make the flip side. So let's look at the case for Hatchinoff because I don't I don't write him off as easily as it, I feel like you are. And not that you're and, writing him off. You've said it could be close. And look, and, and neither do the books, right? I yeah. mean, you, you've got Korda minus 130 on my, on what I'm looking at and Hatchinoff even money. Like, clearly they think it's going to be tight. It's also why I'm just 100% hitting Korda because I think the, the, you know, the books are not giving him enough credit. I think well, this is a Korda easier dub. Well, when you look for Hatchinoff, here's the thing. A... So, one of just 10 active players now, by reaching this Australian Open quarterfinals, one of 10 active players, and I'm not including Nishikori or Rayonich, one of 10 active players to have made the quarterfinals at all four slams. Tip of the cap to the 26-year-old. Like, that is something you ask every junior player who has pro aspirations. Hey, you can do that, but that's your career. You sign up for it today, even if he hasn't won a title in three years. Here's my trivia question for you. In his last 22 slams... How many times has Karen Hatchdorff made at least the third round? In the last 22? Yeah. Dude, honestly, it's it's probably like 18 of them. Like That's, I, I, so, welcome back. Hey, great shot. Price is right rules. The answer is 19. So that's why I'm going to stop you there because that's exactly it. This guy has proven so unequivocally that in the best of five set format – he is one of the 32 best players in the world. I mean, look, he's fit. He's right? coming off, like, and he's coming off of a U.S. Open semifinal. And I mentioned the 16 yeah. and four record for Korda since the start of that U.S. Open uh, run. Karen Hatchinoff 17 and seven overall. And by the way, here's who the losses are to. He's lost to Djokovic twice. He lost to Medvedev once. He lost to Korda once. He lost that four-set match to Rude in the semifinals. And then the Brits have the better of them. Evans and Draper have gotten him as well. But, like, I mean, you don't love the score lines in the Evan and Draper matches. Those aren't bad losses. And, again, for Karen Hatchinoff, who has at least been to this quarterfinal stage before, who you know physically he for sure will be ready to go regardless of how physical, uh, you know, his four-set match earlier in the event was with Tiafo. He was off court in under two hours, though, in that last round against Nishioka. He has yeah, a serve. It's pretty easy when it's 0-0 in the first yeah. two. He also has a serve, a forehand, and a physicality that I think it's not entire. I mean, Hubi is better at moving forward, but Hatchinoff's probably a little more consistent. I mean, again, it's not a dissimilar matchup, and we saw Hercott stress Korda, and I'm curious if Korda can do that twice in a row. Again, I think like I think there's a case to be made for Hatchinov. If it's not, let's just here's how I'll frame it. If he wins, there, what does it look like? There's there's definitely a case to be made. I mean, maybe maybe we're just not giving him enough credit for being a, a big match player, right? Not I mean, we. You. Eh, I think you're you're kind of on board too. You're trying to be political here. But the the truth is, you're right. He has performed on the big stages, right? I mean, he performed in the U.S. Open. He makes the third round of all of these Grand Slams. And it's funny because I feel like we've, you know, semi-blackballed him from from any of our bets uh, because we've seen him, you know, 
tank some some matches that we just don't think should happen. If he's going to win this match, though, he's got to play big. He he hasn't really had to quite, you know, to his potential in this tournament, and he's going to have to bring out the weapons. Corda's not going to back down to, you know, some basic baseline rallies and allowing Hachinov to, to wait for his forehand. No, Hachinov's going to have to control the court, find the right balls, and be aggressive. First serve's going to have to be big. He's just going to have to play some big tennis tomorrow, or I guess tonight, and uh, otherwise, Korda's going to take control of this match. Yeah, I mean, look, again, for Karen Hatchinov in his career, uh, 29-66 against top 20 opponents, 7-14 and 14 at the slams, though 2-2 two and two in his last four uh, you look for him against opponents over six foot four, which I always think is a fun one to look at. He's 35 and 30, 34 and 28. So again, if you can put some pressure uh, at the ATP level, sorry, 34 and 28, if you can put some pressure with pace on that Hatchinoff forehand, he will have some problems. For what it's worth, on the flip side for Sebi Korda, and again, it's a much smaller sample size, but you look for Sebi overall in his career against top 20 opponents, 14 and 14 at the majors. He's four and three. It's a pretty gar- darn good start for the 22-year-old. You look for him against opponents who are over six foot four. As it's worth noting, each of the guys are here in this matchup. Expect to see some power tennis. Korda four and one in his career against top 20 opponents over 6'4". He's beaten Hatchinov, Medvedev, Hercats, and Opelka. That's not the worst resume there, uh, again, for the 22-year-old. And I do think, again, if Korda's at his fittest, how heavy Hatchinov hits that forehand for it to sit up at the Korda shoulder, you made that point earlier, that's the ball he wants, to just bunt down on that ball and get to swing through the court freely. I mean, I'm also just going to take a Korda backhand rally with Kajanov all day. Yeah, he wins G- that too. Literally give me that all day. Yeah. All right. Well, with that in mind, though, you talked about the odds, and you talked about how Hatchinov is a vomit zone player for us, and this is how we'll get into our pick. I never like picking Hatchinov when he's an, uh, the favorite. Here's the thing. He's the underdog here today. According to our friends at DraftKings, Korda minus 130 favorite to Hatchinov's plus 110. Korda a 60.7% favorite according to the DraftKings singles forecast. You look at the game spread, DraftKings offers quarter minus one and a half at minus 105. You can get half a game at minus 125. You know, you figure if he wins, he covers that. Two and a half plus 110. I mean, totals for this match, over 39 and a half games, minus 120. Give me the pick. What do you like? What's your ace of the day as it relates to this match? What are you, uh, where are you leaning? I mean, I've already, I've already taken quarter minus 130. <laughs> with, with with money lines this close to to even spreads just don't make sense. You never want to take take a chance at you know Hashinov just playing an insane set and ruining the game spread. Thirty nine and a half. I don't mind the over. You get some tight sets, and I I would not be surprised if this goes four. There's a chance it goes five, but I, I think there's a really good chance it's a tight four. Over 39 and a half feels pretty good to me. Honestly, the one that I do really like is a Kachanov plus 100 first set. Ooh. I think he, I think Kachanov could come out firing. And if Kord is not ready for it. A little sticker shock, yeah, by the round. Yeah, Kachanov's been here. Ooh, I like we'll that. We'll see. But overall, my ace is just Korda minus 130. 
You don't want to do the first set? That's good. I like that pick. I, I, That's I'm, a great I pick. might do it. Look, yeah. I'm, I might do it. That doesn't mean it's my ace, but it it might get a little sprinkle on there. That's a good pick. I like the over, 39 and a half. If you may, it forced me to pick someone to win this match, as high as I've been on Korda, and I have said it all month long, listeners know, I would pick Hatchinov. I just, again, coming off of a five-set victory, a major emotional hurdle where he was down in that fifth set and he manages to come back in that breaker. I just think Hatchinov will be ready, for, will, will pose the same sort of challenge for the second consecutive time. And again, if Korda comes through it, then I was right earlier, and I shouldn't have doubted myself. That's why I'm not making a pick on the money line, because I absolutely think Korda's the better tennis player when they both play their best. I just don't know how close Korda will be to his best. That said, he's too good to make this match anything but competitive. I'll take the over, 39 and a half. A good four, five-set match, regardless of who wins. Minus 120, I feel pretty good about that. Any final thoughts? Are you ready to move on? Let's talk Lahetchka and Tsitsi. Let's get to it. Of course, you look for Stefano Tsitsipas into the quarterfinals via a five-set victory over Yannick Sinner. Here's my fun Tsitsipas stat for you to start this podcast. You look for Stefano Tsitsipas, who is now into, I believe, his sixth quarterfinal of his career at the majors. All of them have come since 2019. He's 5-0 and in his previous five quarterfinal matches. It's a lot of winning for Stefano Tsitsipas, who, again, managed to work his way through some struggles in that five-set victory over uh, over Sinner in the fourth round. And there's just an aura for me around Tsitsipas right now, Max. Something about his serve, his forehand, his confidence in asserting them from any position on the court. When he gets a look at the ball, the match is now on his terms. Of course, you look for Stefano Tsitsipas, who not only wins four matches here, but has won four, uh, eight consecutive matches to start 2023 after going undefeated with wins over Dimitrov, Goffin, Chorich, and Berrettini in United Cup. Man, I think Stefanos has looked really good. He's the only guy in the top half of the draw who's made a slam final in his career. I think this this preview is going to be a little bit quicker than the previous one. I promise that to all of you listeners, but let's do this quickly. What's the case for Tsitsipas look like? What does him winning, what does he do? I mean, I feel like we, we've talked a little bit about Lehechka offline. Lehechka just overall is solid, right? He hits a great ball. He moves in at the right times. I think CeCe just has to continue to play his game. I I, I don't I don't want CeCe to overthink this. I, I think you could look at Lehechka and say, damn, great tournament so far. He's playing amazing tennis. I've got to, you know, do a lot here to beat him. I don't think so. I think CeCe continues to serve well, play smart, do his thing, and I, I think he takes this. There's, there's a world where, again, we're in the quarters, Lehechka gets nervous. Tsitsi's been here. This could be a straight setter, honestly. If Tsitsi just keeps his head down, doesn't think too much about who's on the other side of the net and plays the way he's been playing. No, I mean, his serve, his forehand are that imposing. How confident he is moving forward. Ultimately, that's what you know, blew the house down against Yannick Sinner. And you look for Tsitsipas, who has only dropped two sets so far in this event, for him to fight off to 22 of, uh, for Tsitsipas. Yeah, 22 of 26 break points in that match. 22 of 26. Sinner played really well. He kept consistent pressure on Tsitsipas. And I still just think, again, physically, 
you know, people don't talk enough, Maxi, about the animal Tsitsipas has turned into from a movement perspective. His ability to find that forehand, his ability to keep his weight moving forward through the court. And again, as good as Lechechka has been throughout the course of this tournament, what are the two biggest weapons in this match? It's the Tsitsipas serve and the Tsitsipas forehand. And yes, Lechechka had found success finding the backhand of Felix in the previous round. And it's not a dissimilar look. Like, it, it's a similar game plan for Lechechka as it it's was against Felix. It's 100% similar. Yeah, but I just think Tsitsipas is better at executing it right now. He's playing better this month than FAA was. This match is on Tsitsipas's racket, right? You still think as good as Lechechka has been, I still think Tsitsipas has been the better player thus far. I mean, for sure. Look, we, we've watched FAA ruin lots of opportunities at tournaments. Even within matches, lots of missed chances. Tsitsipas's slice to backhand differential, nor like driven backhand differential, is also a lot bigger. I think Tsitsipas slices better, but he also gets a little bit more topspin, a little bit more kick off the backhand. Going to throw a little bit more variation for Lehechka to have to deal with. I will say, though, the Lehechka backhand's really good, and he's going to have to use that if he wants to get anywhere in this match. Be aggressive on the backhand, take it down the line, and continue to follow it in. I mean, we've seen Lehechka come to the net over you know 40 times a match the last four matches. He's utilizing the volley well. He's winning, like, I mean, he's winning anywhere from 60 to 85% of his net points when he is coming in. If he's going to do anything against Tsitsipas, it's going to have to be backhand aggression and move on in. The last stat for Tsitsipas, he is currently 63-22. and 22. He's played 85 matches over the course of the past year. He's won 74% of them against opponents ranked outside the top 50, which Lechechka will no longer be, justifiably, after this Australian Open, but currently is right now. Tsitsipas is 30-6 and six against opponents ranked outside the top 50 over the past year. Four of those losses, by the way, to players who are currently in the top 50 in George, Draper, Kyrgios, and Murray. Here's the flip side. And this is the case for Lechechka, who, again, statistically is a significant underdog. You look according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, they give him an 11.9% chance of winning this match. Yuri Lechechka, 19-21 since the start of last season. At the ATP level, this is the first time in his career he has won more than two, uh, three matches, excuse me, at a single ATP event. First slam of his career, first time winning a main draw match at a slam in his career. But here's the thing. He has weapons, Maxi, and you alluded to them earlier. I know the hold percentage isn't great, 78.4 over the last, uh, 79.2, excuse me, over the last 52 weeks, which is below the top 50 average. But that's not the Lehechka we've seen this week. Like, the Lehechka we've seen this week is showing what he showed at the challenger level, where he explodes through the serve, explodes through his forehand. And I kind of like how he moves as well. Like, I think this guy, you know, again, Lehechka's only, what, 21 years old, Max? What do you think about his future? Tell me again, what does he do best? I mean, I compared him earlier to Korda, right? He, he plays, I think... A really yeah, I'm not there. Over... Yeah, but my point is that he just he's solid, man. Like yeah. he he doesn't do anything bad. I guess is the is the big thing, right? Sure. He has so many opportunities to improve and to work on getting the serve even better. Work on making the forehand even more of a weapon. I truly would like to see him continue to come in and, and move into the net even more as he progresses. I think he needs to learn to be a little more aggressive. Is probably the main thing. 
to be honest, though, I just like his game. I think he's got a, a bright future ahead of him if he continues to sharpen his tools a little bit here and there. He's going to continue to be uh, a danger for a lot of players. For me, the one thing I will oh, please go ahead. So the one thing I will say, you, you mentioned some of the the people that Tsitsipas has lost to being Chorich and Nori and some of these other guys. These are guys that uh, Lahechka has beaten in in recent history, right? And also great to see him come back and beat Nori after losing to him last week. Do we see the same thing right now? Cici lost or Hetchka lost to Cici Pass late last year in Rotterdam. Does he come back, look back at the tape, see what he did wrong, find some of the flaws and and win today or tonight? Maybe. Well, here's the thing. You look for Lechechka, who, to your point, has had as impressive of a pathway to this quarterfinals. Anyone in the draw? And by the way, fun stat via the ATP media info. You look right now at this Australian Open. There are four first-time quarterfinalists at this event. Obviously, Lechechka, Korda, Paul Shelton. First time that's happened since the 2005 French Open. And again, it just does feel like this this generational shift we've forecasted since the inception of this show has truly come to fruition. Look, Lachech could beat Chorich, he beat Nori, he beat FAA. He's got three seeded scalps on his resume right now. And I do think for Nori, it helps to play the guy the week before. It's really hard with how thin the deficit, uh, the the margins are between each of these players to beat a guy twice in a row. And look, that first match in Auckland went three sets. It's not as though it wasn't competitive. Lahechka plays two competitive matches consecutively against a top 20 opponent. Four-set win over Felix, but he wins two breakers consecutively where Felix just could not find the answers. Although, for what it's worth, only one break of serve for each of the guys, so pretty even match there. Don't let the four-set score line confuse you. I just, again, I agree with you. Like, I think Lachechka, who, with this result, he gets to the top 50. Uh, no doubt, uh, you know, he is currently up to, let's see, you're Lachechka, 39 in the live rankings. But, like... I just think Tsitsipas is the best opponent he's played thus far. The biggest weapons he's seen thus far. The just, no question. And, and this is the biggest stage. And so, again, we get to the pick here for this match. Certainly, uh, as I alluded to, 89% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. You look according to DraftKings, Stefano Tsitsipas, minus 650. Minus five and a half games, which is a four, four and four, five, five and five win is minus 155. You want to give an extra game, six and a half. It's plus 100. Total for this match over 35 and a half. That's intriguing to me. That's probably where I'd start. What are you looking at? The tough part is whether Lehechka breaks down for a set yeah. and or Sitsi just really gets in a groove and takes him 6 1, 6 2 in a set. Could definitely see that happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard one to bet on. You're not taking money line. Five and a half is pretty solid, though, and it's and it's probably something I would play around with. Maybe something light. Um, that's probably is that's probably all I would do. The, if you really wanted to get aggressive, you throw on Lahechka first set plus two fifty. <laughs> if Lahech, that's his, that might be his his chance to come out firing, catch CC Paul's off guard. I'm not saying take that bet, but uh, if anything, you're going five and a half at one at. 
even money. Yeah, I like the over because I do like Lechka's weapons. I think again, they could go five, five, and five, and that's thirty-six games, and you hit the over thirty-five and a half. If there's a breaker, that number's in play, even if it's a straight set match. You're not getting any value in the money line unless you like Lechka, and I don't. I had plus five and a half on my board, but I was like, that's just too risky because there's going to be a seven six set. It. There might even be two of them. And again, with how well Lechka is moving, hitting the backhand, he will be able to put some stress on Tsitsipas. It's a stay away. We agree. Stay away from a gambling perspective. That said, we both see Tsitsipas moving on, so that would set up a very fun, uh, again, quarter. I mean, no matter what, the semifinals, Tsitsipas versus either Korda or Hatchinov, uh, certainly something for tennis fans to get excited about. That said, we move now to the bottom half Kept of the Kept that one nice and short, and, huh? Yeah, <laughs> nice and short. And here's where I would start this next match. Going into the fourth round of the Australian Open, Novak Djokovic, who when first round play began, opened up as a minus 115 favorite to start the event. Before his victory against Alex Diemenauer yesterday, Novak Djokovic down to plus 115 odds. I almost texted you and said, should we put the mortgage on this Djokovic wager? We did not. We should have because Novak Djokovic, following his straight set victory over Alex Diemenauer, minus 215. Hundred favorite to capture the event, according to our friends at DraftKings. Djokovic now going to take on Andre Rublev for the fourth time in his career. Djokovic, a two-to-one career head-to-head advantage, has won both times they played at the Tour Finals. Rublev, a win in a Belgrade final last year on clay. Rublev coming off of a dramatic come-from-behind five-set victory over Holger Rune, and I say come from behind because he was down 7-4 in the fifth set breaker. All seemed lost. He blows a match point up 9-8. Rublev, an down incredible... Down 2-5 in the fifth set. Yeah, Rune, an incredible, incredible backhand down the line pass at 9-0. And yet Rublev's through. He's into the quarterfinals. Now you get a date with Novak. Let's just start on the Novak side of things, Maxi, because I'm curious where you are on this question over his last 52 weeks. 51-7. and seven. He's won 88% of the matches that he's played. That's 4.5% better than his career average. He's holding serve over or 89% of the time. It's 3% better than his career average now. He's currently breaking serve a lowly 29% of the time, which would rank second or excuse me, third on the ATP tour, but is somehow 3% below his career I mean, average. Graskin, just look. And apologies here because you're going to have to bleep out our, our first word of the day. F*** the stats. <laughs> the stats. F*** his injury. F*** everything about what we're talking about here. He looks incredible. Look at the way he's moving. He's clearly not injured. Well, what? so no, 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 no. I would have disagreed with you until I saw last night. Until be- last night? That's no, my be- point. That's but- why I'm saying f*** everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, by the way, the odds are where they are. Because last night, not exactly. only— Exactly. And did you hear him in the press conference where he goes, this is the first night where I felt no pain? And the odds makers yeah. were like, well, we're about to feel a lot and, of plus 115 pain. And then Demon doubled down and was like, well, haven't seen the guy play like that ever or in you know recent history. If he continues to do that, everyone else is screwed. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Stats are stats. So let's have some fun then here. Incredible. It's changeover chat preview. 2022 Djokovic, 2023 Djokovic, excuse me, healthiest version, plays 2015 Djokovic. What's the score? 
seven six six seven seven six six seven seven six. I don't know. Like, I mean, <laughs> well, sorry. I to- think twenty three is the better server. Like, I do think this is like Michael Jordan on the second three Pete Bulls, where it's like, oh, he has this new element to his game where he's just also not. He's not necessarily faster. Yeah, but twenty fifteen, he had that dog in him. No, twenty fifteen, you're just not getting a ball by him ever. Twenty eleven, he 20, had yeah. that dog in well, him. Well, that's what that's why I'm saying the younger version wins. But like, man, Novak hits his spots so perfectly now. Not that he hasn't always been a precise player, but his ability to hit paint the line with his plus one approach, it's just gotten better. Like that's the newest yeah. wrinkle is he's that much more dominant behind his first serve. The stats indicate as much. Then again, we'll be quick here. What's the case for Andre Rublev, who I thought played some pretty good tennis against Dan Evans in the third round. Now, he got very shaky in the biggest moments against Aruna, but guess what? He got through that, and now he gets the privilege of playing this match with absolutely no burden of expectations. And, you know, Rublev, 53-21 over the past year. He has made quarterfinals at majors before. In fact, he is into a quarterfinal now for the third time in the last four slams and the seventh time in his career. The big number is 0-6 in his first six quarters. But again, it is the seventh. They always say lucky number seven, Maxi. What's it the case wasn't lucky number seven for FAA in his finals. Um, <laughs> here's here's what I would say. The only the only way Rublev somehow does something here is Joker just hasn't really been tested. Finally, he's going to get some really big balls out of Rublev. Rublev's been tested. He beat Rusevori. He beat Team. He beat Evans. He he's played some guys who can move, and he's played some guys who hit a big ball. But man, Rublev is gonna have to just be ultra aggressive. I mean, I'm talking full forehand slaps. Do whatever he can. The to bring us right into our our odds. The bet that I love that I'm honestly like I think I'm gonna sprinkle on. Djokovic to win this in straights, plus one fifteen. Mm. I, I just, mm. I, I mean, how is Rublev gonna win a set? He's well, gonna, I mean, he could. So he definitely he, could. But you, I, I love that. You touched on the that. argument, the heaviness of his forehand. You know, again, Novak Djokovic is a significant, like a much better version. Listeners, so take this comparison with a grain of salt. But Djokovic is just the much better version of Holger Runa where he can attack with the first forehand, he hits his spots yeah. well on the serve, he absorbs extraordinarily well on the backhand wing, he's got this otherworldly flexibility. Again, Djokovic is the final form of what Runa hopes to someday be. And we just saw that player push Rublev to five sets. And again, you look at that match, how physically taxing it might be. Now, for Novak, here's the thing. Power players he's played in 2023. Played Chapo, 3-4 and four win, Adelaide won. Korda had the match point against him in that final that's really it. Like, I guess Dimitrov. That's my point. He yeah, has he, not been tested. So if that Rublev, the heaviness of that ball, how difficult it is to dig it out of the corners repeatedly. Again, if Djokovic isn't fully healthy, that heaviness is going to wear on your hamstring. If Djokovic is fully healthy, I agree with you. I think he wins this match. I think he wins it pretty comfortably. Rublev has gotten a lot better as a mover, a lot better on the backhand. Honestly, run up the double fault because the second serve is useless against Novak Djokovic, in my opinion. You're absolutely right. But I do like that he can go down gunslinging, that it's like, you know what? An error is better than tentativeness against Novak Djokovic. 
So again, you, you said it there. You're leaning towards the straight sets. For what it's worth, Novak Djokovic in this match, obviously the favorite according to odds makers. He opens things up at minus 650. The game spread, ooh, you can get Djokovic minus 5.5 for minus 170. That's smack dab in the parlay zone. Minus 6.5, minus 115. The overs, 34.5. Djokovic is 78.5% favorite. Is there a bet there, or are you going with just the straight setter? It's tough. I almost, yeah. I mean, you could almost take Rublev plus six and a half. Ooh, a zag. You could. I mean, what? Four, four, and four? No, I like cover? it. I like that. I agree. I think he keeps it sneaky. The thing is, there could be like just a blow up six no, one. No, that's what I'm saying. I could see a six, five, and two. And then you're just like, nope, I, he covered. He, he hit seven games. He somehow managed to cover. Like, I agree. That third set is the one that scares me the absolute most. I I, I think, honestly, I'm staying away for the most part just because there is some volatility here. But I might sprinkle a little bit on that Joker straight sets. Yeah, or the over is low. And if you believe in Rublev, that's probably the play there as opposed to a straight-up bet. Or what's Rublev just to win a set? Is that a is there a wager there? It's probably like plus 110 or plus 105. It's got to be around Well, there. no, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're saying Djokovic isn't going to win in straights, it's minus 145 Rublev plus two and a half sets. So. Yeah, okay. That's not bad odds either. Um, but I agree. I think this match is to stay away. Let's see. Again, I just want to keep seeing how healthy Novak is, but I've also got a futures bet still. After losing the ego ones, I asked you if I should hedge. You said, no, don't hedge. I was like, I just took you at your word. That was a mistake by me. (laughs) But I still have Djokovic at that minus 115 to win the tournament, and I don't feel a need to hedge quite yet. With that said, we got one quarterfinal left to go. It's probably the most anticipated quarterfinal for us and that, of course, is the All-American battle between Ben Shelton and Tommy Paul. Now, of course, just some America stats for all of you. Last time, three players from the U.S. reached a slam quarterfinal, the 2005 U.S. Open. Of course, Ben Shelton, the youngest player to reach a quarterfinal since Andy Roddick on the American side back in 2001. Shelton, the lowest-ranked American player to reach a slam quarterfinal since Todd Martin at the 2000 U.S. Open. Youngest to do it in Australia since Michael Chang in 1996. Obviously, for Tommy Paul, you look at a guy who's reaching his first major quarterfinal coming on the back of his first second week at a slam at Wimbledon last year. You know, both of these guys firmly ensconced in the top 50 of the ATP rankings. Ben Shelton, who still has no points to defend until the month of June, currently up to a new career high, number 43 in the live rankings. Tommy's tied his career high of number 28. Let's start on the Tommy side of things. Maxi, what does a Tommy Paul win, who has looked damn good, and by the way, playing rising young Americans, been there, done that, Tommy, straight set win over Jensen Brooksby following his Casper Ruud upset in round number two. What's the case for Tommy here in this first career head-to-head? Oh, man. I mean, mix it up. Like, you can't let Ben just serve his way, blast backhands, be aggressive. Like, you gotta mix it up against this guy. To be honest, though, I just, I want Tommy to grind him down. Like, I I think Tommy looks fit. He looks like he's ready to stay in points as long as he wants. Like, I think Tommy could win this match just by saying, I'll be on court all freaking day. Like, 
come at me, brother. Um, otherwise, I don't. Again, I think similar to the what I said about Tsitsipas, like I don't want Tommy to think too hard in this match. He's been playing phenomenal tennis. I don't want him to come out in this match and say, "I've never seen Ben on court." I've, you know, he's been beating great players. I'm going to have to do a lot to beat this guy. Like, I think that's where he makes a mistake is trying to do too much. So I want to see Tommy stay on court for a while, grind him down, play his game. And um, honestly, I don't want to say my heart wants Ben just for the love of the game. You know, I I just want to see that guy keep, keep pushing through. But also my head is like, Tommy's the man. He deserves it just as much. And probably just given his time on tour, where he's been, the matches he's played, should win and I think will win this match. Well, look, as dramatic as the rise for Ben has been, and obviously we've covered it every step of the way here at Cracked Records, we'll cover it again here on this show. Tommy's been exceptional over the course of the last six months. And since making his first quarterfinal at Queens Club June 13th last year, Tommy Paul, 28-14 and 14 overall. He's winning two-thirds of his matches, Maxie. We have the two-thirds rule. That's a new one I came up with. When, Because if you're winning two matches at an event, you're typically making the quarterfinal round, right? And if you're making quarterfinals, you're typically moving up the rankings, whatever level that may be. Well, Tommy Paul... 28 and 14 for six months he has just continuously moved up the ranking the culmination being this quarterfinal his first at a major here at the Australian Open and you know again for Tommy in his career for what it's worth 15 and 8 against top 100 left-handed players has gotten wins over a Rafa over a you know Shapovalov over a Nori he's also 14 and 11 against top 100 players who are over six foot four, like Ben Shelton is, who can bring the big weapons and try to disrupt his rhythm. Look, the thing to your point is how locked in Tommy has been, whether it was the five set. You know, it, it's every round. There's a different element of locked in. Against Jan Leonard Struve, big hitter, had momentum coming into that round one, having qualified. What does Tommy do? He stays focused, absorbs the first strike, puts the ball in play, makes Struve do this spectacular, which he wasn't able to sustain. Davidovich Fokina, five sets, physical battle, extraordinarily high-level tennis. Tommy could do more things more successfully. Jensen, he looked across the net and said, hey, this is a pecking order match. And what you're doing is cute, but this is my time right now. And all this consistency, that's nice, but you can't hurt me because I'm a 25-year-old who's in the peak of my physical, uh, physical prime, and Tommy's always been an elite athlete from a fluidity-strength perspective. And then what did he do against RBA? The final piece, impose himself. How impressive, Maxie, was Tommy in that ad side corner, imposing his will. It was his inside out forehand, not RBA's doing the damage. Tommy's always, we've said this since the beginning, go check the tape, doesn't get enough credit for how good of a volleyer he is. It's just so easy. Tommy holds a racket like it's an extension of his arm. And I really do think, certainly 20 and 14, he's he's made six quarterfinals. Now he's 0 and 6. This is his seventh quarterfinal in his last 14 events. He's 0 and 6 in his previous six. But he's playing like a top 20 player. He is the favorite entering this match. He has the experience. Again, he's athletic enough to absorb the weapons, has the backhand to do it. There's abs- This is Ben's toughest test without question. For sure. Here's my thing and a question for you. 
he truly, besides Stroof, hasn't played anyone. Mm-hmm. Fokina, Brooksby, and RBA mm-hmm. are not guys that we sit here and say big weapons, right? I mean, Fokina hits the ball pretty big. RBA can too, but on the flatter side, Brooksby kind of wins with his craftiness. This is TP's, besides Stroof, first match since the first round where he's going up against a really good serve and some big weapons in Ben Shelton's ground strokes. I, I think, I guess the question is, do you think this is a match where he gets thrown off because he hasn't really seen that in a couple rounds? Or is this something where he continues to play the way he has and it's not too much of an issue? It's an excellent question and it brings us to the case for Ben. I've said this quote before. I'll say it again every time we talk about him. I was talking to a player who faced him in college. I asked him, what's the toughest part about facing Ben? He says, Alex, if he makes the ad side slice out wide, I'm just f***ed because he has a first forehand and he can go behind me. He can go in front of me. He can serve in volley or more likely than not, the serve was an ace. He has one of those non-negotiable, unequivocal elite serves that and I, we had this conversation on the phone, just so listeners know where I said, Maxi, Ben's one of the few people in my life who I go, I'll take his serve over Max's. Because, you know, again, Max Rothman has aced a top 35 player in the world. Listeners, we haven't celebrated that enough in his ace over Yoshihito Nishioka, which we have on film. Um, anyways, Ben's got that sort of weapon. And as good and athletic and fluid as Tommy is, hitting the backhand out of a corner, Ben just has you so far in the corner that now the plus ones are on his term and I just I wonder if Tommy's gonna be able to take the return on the rise as successfully as he has in his past three matches against a guy with a serve the caliber of Ben's and look I mean Ben Shelton over the course of the last 52 weeks 45 and 13 overall Maxi. 45 and 13 he's winning 78 percent of his matches of course that doesn't include I think he went like 28 and 2 in college so he's 73 and 15 or something crazy like that over the course of the past year in reality the weapons are real you don't have that level of success unless you can do something repeatedly and make life easy for yourself but here's the thing now you look for Ben Shelton three and a half hours against in his first round Two and a half against Jari. Two hours against Popperin. Nearly four hours in a very dramatic five-set win against another fellow American and fellow college guy in J.J. Wolf. He's I think 20 years that, old. Yeah, 20 years old. First quarter final. First time he's won a match at a slam. First time he's traveled out of the United f***ing States. Like, let's have some perspective here. First player since Arthur Ashe to win the NCAA and then make the quarterfinal immediately the next year. Like, so many firsts. Yeah, and he's kept doing it. just going to keep going. And so let me ask you this because you haven't talked about it on the show. I said the Ben thing about the serve. I think you'd actually agree with that. I think you have off mic. What is it to you? Because you mentioned the backhand. I agree. I think the way to beat Ben, and I again, it's much easier said here in a podcast booth than done. But I think you play with pace through his forehand. I don't understand why so many continue to try and pick on his backhand. And credit to J.J. Wolf, who did not. Who said, I am setting you up inside out, inside out. I'm pulling the trigger inside in. And once he found his form there, that's what, again, allowed that, just had that match so competitive throughout the course of yesterday. Can Tommy do that? Can he play with pace through the forehand? With the forehand I've seen the last six months out of TP, I do think the answer is yes. And do you agree, by the yeah. way, with that assessment of attacking Ben? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the big thing is people try and go 
after the backhand consistently. It's like, oh, I'm just going to drill the backhand corner for four balls in a row. And then Ben's like, okay, well, then I'm just going to step in, get on top of it, and rip it flat cross court and put the pressure back on you. Like, you got to be willing to mix it up a little bit. And then, like you said, JJ would whip that, you know, inside in occasionally, and it was great, right? Like, you can't just keep attacking in the same way. Um, but I'm with you. I like the idea of attacking the forehand. Like, put pressure on, on that thing. See if it breaks down. If it doesn't, you got to change it up. Even more than breaking down, I think he leaves it short. And what Tommy does such a good job of, right, is jump. So what, again, Tommy wins this match. What is he doing to Ben? Because I think we know what a Ben win looks like. It involves I I earlier. an explosion. I, I, I think it's keeping as many of those returns in play as possible Staying in points until he sees his moment. Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned the stats. Tommy, 15 and 8 against top 100 lefties, 14 and 11 against top 100 opponents, over 6 foot 4. You look for Benny, 6 and 3 against the top 100 over his last 52 weeks. That's really the only relevant stat I suppose you can glean from his rather limited pro experience. But look, odds makers have Tommy Paul, the significant favorite heading into this match. You look for TP. He's minus 260, Maxi. On DraftKings, Ben, plus 205. According to Tennis Abstract, Tommy, a 69.4% favorite. Look, I know Ben's coming off of a five-set match. He's played two of them. That money line's too big. Minus 260 is is not enough respect for Ben's serve. Now, again, Tommy's a different sort of athlete. It's a different sort of consistency. Ben is going to face in this challenge, then certainly he's faced all term. You know, Ben's faced the same player in, to an extent three matches in a row, right? In Jari, big serve, big forehand. Popperin, big serve, big forehand. JJ, big serve, big forehand. That's not Tommy, who has a big serve and a big forehand, but it's a different sort of physical question to ask of Ben. And so, again, TP minus 260, TP minus three and a half games, minus 140, Shelton plus four and a half, minus 120. The over-unders, 38 and a half. What are you going with? I mean, I, I hate to keep bringing in outlier bets here. No, this is why we have we, ta- we talked about it earlier. TP hasn't seen, hasn't played Ben Shelton. It's crazy. Ben Shelton's too young to have ever played TP. We talked about it offline. We're that old. Is nuts. We're old. We are old. It's insane. Um, TP hasn't seen his serve yet. And I think he's going to get caught off guard it might take a set for tp to really figure out how to handle the serve how to put pressure on it where to stand for his return plus 150 ben shelton first set i think ben shelton comes out firing he's gonna know he has to just played a five setter isn't gonna want to go five sets again i think you gotta come out firing plus 150 first set ben shelton that's a that's the best pick. To be honest, as of right now, my plan is to stay away from the men's side of quarterfinal action. I just <laughs> I don't like the feel for any of them. I think the lines are exactly right. And again, this is a precarious situation where maybe you choose to stay away. But if I had to pick, I'd pick Tommy to win the match. I just think there's something about his body language. It's a little different right now. He feels ready for this moment to beat RBA in the fashion that he did where it wasn't an escape. He was the better player from start to finish. That's a higher level than I've seen out of Ben, as great as Ben was in his five-set win over Wolf. And God, was that a fun match, the, the explosion. Ugh, just serves, forehands, college. It was great. 
I'll take Tommy. I think that's a fun place to again. last thing just on on that match with JJ. Yeah, didn't it? You, you say it had the college feel. Didn't it almost have some college esque like errors though? I felt like I was watching just some there were some, some service games. Yeah, and some service games were just like multiple missed returns. Where I'm like, guys, we can't be this sloppy in a in a grand slam. Yeah, Come on. It was two new experiences, a new experience right. for each of those players. And yes, at times it reflected that. All right. With all that said, again, we're all we're, I think we have the same format here. Our, I'll go Hatchnov. You're going Korda. I'm taking. We're both taking Tsitsipas. Both Djokovic. I'm Tommy. Who are you picking for the match? I just want Ben. It's so sad saying I want Ben over Tommy because Tommy's my guy. I know that's an OG. <sighs> and we want we've wanted this from Tommy for so long. So long. Any of these right. next gen guys. I know. Just give me Tommy, dude. He f-ing deserves it. I, it's like, not that Shelton. I mean, look, we created the Ben Shelton bandwagon here at Cracked Rack. We did. I just do think. That Tommy's playing a little bit better. All right, do you still have time for a changeover chat? You ready to get to it? Sure. All right, let's get to it then. Super producer Daniel Westoff, give me the sound effect. It's time for this week's changeover chat. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Change over, 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 just absolutely gorgeous. You nail it every time. And shout out to the acapella group that was the OGCR team. All right. I got three changeover chat questions for you here on today's show. One of them NBA related. One of them Rothman related. One of them big picture related. Which would you like first? Surprise me. All right. Let's get your... Let's get your your, uh, your your sensations tingling with this first question. There was recently a video released on social media of the one and only retired Roger Federer out on a padel court playing a racket sport once again. <laughs> Federer just enjoying a little exhibition time, obviously getting in something he will inherently be better at than 99% of the population. That said... You know who believes they're in that 1%? Maxwell LeBauer Rothman, who I will let explain his credentials for himself. But, Maxie, something you said off, Mike, that I had to ask you on. Why do you think you would be better than Roger Federer at Padel? Oh, man. You really know how to get me going. This is an excellent first question, is it not? It's fantastic. Um... Well, for all of our listeners who don't know what Padel is, um, in some cultures or some areas of the world, they call it paddle. Um, Imagine a smaller tennis court encased in glass with part of the sidewalls that are fences. It's kind of a tennis squash 
platform tennis combo where you can hit off the glass to the other side. It's played in a doubles fashion. Honestly, just go look it up. Easiest way to understand what I'm talking about. I've played with tennis players. I've played with squash players. I've played with racquetball players, with platform tennis players. You do not know how to play off the glass <laughs> until you've played the game for a while. And not only do you not know, do you not know how to play off the glass, you don't understand the positioning of the court and where you need to be at different parts and different areas and different times in a point. It is such a specific movement. It requires a level of just repetition and feel and seeing how the angle of a ball is going to have a different trajectory off the glass based on the spins and the place that is that the ball is being hit from. There's just so many components to the game that take time. And look, maybe Federer's been playing for months and I have no idea. I mean, the points that you see in the video are, are like, you watch him hit like two shots. And look, <laughs> the guy's obviously a phenomenal racquetiste. And I actually haven't brought that, that term onto the podcast yet. <laughs> a racquetiste is someone who excels in all racket, yeah, excels right. in all racket sports. There's, there's <laughs> some fine tuning. Um, there's, there's some further uh, definition involved, but Wait, I'll leave it at that for now. Do you give me permission to change? My, you should change your Twitter profile at whatever for Cracked Rackets, and then also put a racquetiste. Uh, yeah, no, I, I am a, a racquetiste. Um, so he's obviously, he's got phenomenal racket skills. He's going to be good at the sport immediately, but there is just an amount of time required to get used to the game. And if you put Roger Federer on a Padel court for the first time with me and someone who's played for years, he just won't win. It's I'm just sorry. Like he he won't understand the walls well enough to win. I've played I played with Brandon Holt. Uh, and again, Brandon Holt and Federer are much different levels of tennis players. And full credit to Brandon, fantastic first time Padel player. Just he, he just he's learning. He just has to learn where to stand in the court when the ball is bouncing a certain way. Um, yeah, it's a phenomenal game. I, I, I didn't get my credentials. I don't feel the need to here. If, if you want to later, by all means. But Shout out I played Maccabi for a Champs. long time. Yeah, all right. I like it. That's a good answer to question number one. That said, how many months would it take Fed to get better than you? <laughs> I mean, look, if Fed played... Every day for a couple months, he'd be better than me for sure. It's it's Roger Federer. I mean, fair. He'll Although, figure it out pretty bum quick. Bum knee, Padel, not easy. You need those knees. You do, but the beauty of Padel is once you learn where to stand. I mean, the quicker guys are able to run out of the court and get the ones that bounce off the walls and outside. So there's there's levels to this, of course. But um, yeah, who are we kidding? If he really put the time into it, he'd be amazing. Yeah. All right. Question number two. You are now. An MBA student, I ask you, you're buying stock in one player, men's or women's. Who and why? Oh, man. Um, I came prepared today. I mean, it depends if we're talking upside, if I'm mitigating That's, risk. This is what I'm saying. What's full, the MBA mindset? Full, Who are you looking full at? MBA mindset here. I'm going to send this answer I mean, to your look, professors. I'm I'm 26 years old. I've got a long time horizon ahead of me. I'm I'm not 
but I'm also not the riskiest guy. Like I'm not about to throw all, all my money into a Ben Shelton right now. I want some guaranteed upside. I'm probably taking a devalued Medvedev. Like I, I think, I think he's lost some value in recent history. We're buying him at a, a fair price. He's still young. He still has plenty of career ahead of him. He's proven himself. And I think we're going to see his stock price go up in the next couple of years. He's going to throw a couple grand slams under his belt. We're going to feel good about him for a while. He's going to have lots of wins, stay in the top 10 for the next 10 years. I don't, I don't know how you go against a safe bet like that. Yeah, I think Iga might still be just low enough that it's worth it because of how much the upside remains. Same with Alcaraz. Like Iga, Al- you're buying at a premium right That's now. That's the problem. Alcaraz, that. too. And Alcaraz. He's overpriced. Yeah, Medvedev's a good aim. That's that's an NBA mindset. Uh, Sabalenka's probably too high after Australia, but I've owned that stock for four years, so it's appreciated well. Um, Korda too high now? No, Korda's one of those good value bets, too. I mean, I, if, I, I was trying to get real funky with that no, answer. No, that was a great pick. Medvedev's an excellent answer. Um, That's a market inefficiency a, right there. Quarter for a young person like us, great value bet too as well. It's 401k, baby. All right, last question for you, big picture. You brought it up early, and I wanted to save it. That was what I teased for. Thoughts on Breakpoint? I want to hear what you think. Mixed. Um, I think it's very different for those of us who follow the sport as intently as we do have been to these tournaments, have talked to these players because I see a lot of hype from people who haven't watched the sport. They love it. I mean, like I said, I'm getting texts from friends who are like, are you watching this show? It's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Like all this stuff. Um, It's also very hard when you're comparing it to what is the drive to survive series. Like that's where this came from. It's from the same creators I know that there's more drama and controversy in tennis than is being shown in the show, so I would like a little more of that. Granted, I've only gotten through four, five episodes, four episodes, something like that. Maybe there's a little more drama towards the end. There's certain things I would do differently. I mean, look, I'm, I'm being critical right now. I think there's, I think the show overall, well done. We get a nice view into the players' lives. We really get some good stories. I think, uh, you know, the players are relatively honest and open and and you're getting a good sense of what it's like to be on tour. Uh, if that was the point of the show, great job. I think the show, though, and if you, again, comparing it to Drive to Survive, there needs to be a little bit more of an entertainment factor. I need some more arguments with coaches. I need some more arguments with other players. Wait, I want to show some Twitter, some Twitter in that, back and forth. How and great! Beef. I want all of you listeners to know. And I just went through this with Gil Gross, and I alluded to this happening in my life. And I want listeners to know if you go and listen to the Gil Gross breakdown of episode three, where there's a great. And sorry to cut you off because I agree with all of your sentiment. By the way, say tour for me one more time. Tour. Tour. I didn't know it was T O R E. Um, anyways, come on. I think- I, it's been a while. I think, Come on. I think there's a majority uh, that says tour. Tour. Um, anyways, um, the point is there's a line with Sakari where 
she's talking to her coach, and there's the center, the center, the center, and then she yells, F me, but I don't want to swear twice. Yeah. She swear once here, those, um, where the coach continues to talk to her. And Sakuri looks and says, say one more word, and I'm breaking my f***ing racket. I want you to know that Max has given me that exact look. <laughs> like... I'm trying to think of where it happened most. Like I've probably, I've probably even said that out loud to your face. You said no. I, I know when your eyes are just like, don't say anything to him right now. Like, just let this one go. Like, come on. By the end, we knew. Um, but definitely, like junior year, when we were a little more comfortable saying things to one another, I definitely remember you being like, dude, say one more word. I'm gonna, like, shut the fuck up. And, like, I'm gonna. I'm, hit you across the f-ing face yeah exactly and i just like i've never i loved that scene and i've only watched the first three episodes i try to watch them right before we record but more like as i thought i thought every episode progressively has gotten better so far like i thought one was worse than two which was worse than three and they've all gotten significantly better yeah i mean i loved three just because i loved the fritz episode i was yeah. at indian wells for it fun to beat you know, fun to feel like I was there and then they're recapping it. Anyways, overall, show is good. I'm giving it a solid 8.6 out of 10. Okay. That might be high. 8.4 out of 10. Oh, okay. Curve? No curve. No, no, no. That's the, that's the scale. It's just the All show right. scale. I like it. 8.4 out of 10. Well, again, if you want to hear more on that, check out the Inside Out podcast feed. But those are our thoughts on the 2023 Australian Open men's singles quarterfinals. Again, if you're looking for women's singles breakdown, head on over to the mini break podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has what sort of editing job to do, Maxie? A f- an editing job to do. Oh, man. Does he have one to do today with all of that? Sad Maxie, any final thoughts? Are you ready to rock and roll? Good to be back. I'm going to go take a nice walk outside in this beautiful, sunny Chicago weather for the first time in weeks, and uh, hope to be back here pretty soon. All right. Well, then, with that said, for the fantastic Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Maxie, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always. (laughs) 